Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised, so stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Now, God, may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, for you are our, our rock and redeemer. Amen. It is good to be with you here today. I need to be here with you. I need to be here to worship with you. Last night as I read Lama Lama Red Pajama to Grayson, my foster son, for what feels like the thousandth time, I couldn't help but think of those parents in Uvalde, Texas, who can no longer read bedtime stories to their children. My heart aches. They will no longer ever tuck them back in bed after they have escaped for the fifth time, put band-aids on hurt knees, or hug their tears away. There will be no more birthdays, graduations, or celebrations for those murdered. My heart aches, I know many of ours do. And so instead, 21 funerals will take place because another gunman decided to take innocent lives. We are a nation that is hurting and has been hurting for a long time. We have been crying out, when will this stop? Life cannot continue this way, mourning the deaths of more people to such violence every few days. And so I am weary. I'm weary just like you, weary and angry and scared and wondering when all of this senseless violence is going to stop. And so, yes, I turn an angry heart to God and I cry out, how much longer must this go on? How much more suffering must we bear? Will my child be next? I lament and I'm able to say these words because... I know I cannot hold them in myself, and nor am I supposed to. It's too much. Our, our work as people of faith is to lament when life is taken. Lamenting, though, is more than just grieving. It's recognizing that in our grief, that God is still our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer, and we trust that God has something more to say than this violence. 
It is hope that propels us forward. So I need God to do what only God can do to disrupt this violence and transform it into something radically different through resurrection life. Today is the final Sunday in Eastertide. For 40 days, we have recounted resurrection stories of Christ as he appeared to the faithful. Next week, we will celebrate Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the birth of the church. But between resurrection and Pentecost, Jesus must ascend into the heavenly realm to sit at God's right hand and serve as our mediator and intercessor. It's not a scripture and event that we put a lot of emphasis on in our tradition, but yet we see that Jesus must depart in order for God's work to continue. And so I can't help but wonder about the disciples as they must say to one another goodbye to Jesus as they watch him ascend into heaven. I imagine them straining on their toes, their eyes seeking one last glimpse of him as he disappears before slipping away. This divine whiplash has got to cause great disorientation and grief. They must feel like the earth is slipping beneath their feet at the thought of being left alone again. The unbelievable had occurred. Jesus had returned from the dead only to leave them again. Yes, yes, they will receive the Holy Spirit from God, but the Jesus that they knew departed. They are now on their own, waiting for this mysterious power from on high to come. And so 40 days after Christ's resurrection, the disciples must face a world in which Jesus is finally gone. Scripture says they went rejoicing, but I imagine there was also sorrow and fear, and they wished that Jesus would have remained with them. Could they really do this work he called them to without him? Do we not wish the same when life seems so bleak and so incredibly hard? We turn our eyes to the heavens and we ask God, where are you? And so we often live in this tension of feeling alone and without God, but also trusting that God is working in some way, even if we can't sense it. I found great comfort in the words of Rowan Williams, who is the former Archbishop of Canterbury. Hear this excerpt from an Ascension Day sermon. If Jesus' friends are feeling apprehensive at the thought of his going away, we can identify with that because we know what it's like to live in a world where it is so often looks, like, looks as if God has withdrawn and left us to it. We are always liable to hang on to what we see and understand so as to make ourselves feel safe. When Jesus is simply there, like the other things we find in the world, part of the furniture, there's a risk that we make him too familiar. We domesticate him. 
And we lose the possibility of being shocked and surprised by him. We don't grasp the fact that he isn't just one thing among others, one person among others. We miss out on the great truth that he is within and beyond all things, mysteriously holding everything together. So if the world often feels like a world without God, is that a sort of caution to us? Be careful not to think that God is there to fill in the gaps, to solve the pro- <coughs> to solve the problems, to fit in our terms. God isn't a thing among other things. God is the depth of energy out of which every single thing comes. If we can't instantly see God in the world, perhaps it's because he is like the air we breathe, so all-pervasive that we can never pin down its presence as if it were an object. God was already there in Uvalde, as God has been in all those places, among those children, among the bloodshed, And while it doesn't seem possible to discern how God is present in the carnage and the excruciating pain, God is working somehow to bring new life and to transform this brokenness into something life-giving. And so we trust that God intends something more. Williams continues, Whatever we may be feeling from moment to moment, we've been given a relationship with Jesus that doesn't depend on being able to see him and speak with him in the way his friends could during his earthly life and immediately after his resurrection. And this relation means that we are able to turn in complete trust to God as Father in the way Jesus did, and also to respond to the apparently God-less world with something of his compassion and his transfiguring energy. Jesus hasn't just gone away. He has gone deeper into the heart of reality, our reality and God's. He has become far more visible, more visible a friend and companion. He has shown himself to be the very center of our life, the source of our loving energy in the world, and the source of our prayerful, trustful waiting on God. He has made us able to be a new kind of human being, silently and patiently trusting God as a loving parent, actively and hopefully at work to make a difference in the world, to make the kind of difference love makes. And so with this new humanity that Christ has clothed us with and trusting that the the power of God's spirit moves through us, we become the very people we have been waiting for. God's creative and redemptive spirit moves through us to counter narratives that only seek chaos and death. We may never go to Uvalde, Texas, or know anyone from there, but we know plenty of children. We know plenty of parents and plenty of teachers and school administrators who want to safely attend school without fear of losing 
their lives. Christ is no longer bodily here, but we who know Christ are. We are here. And so what are we going to do to ensure that God's story of life and abundance is the narrative and not the darkness that takes life? Where do we train our hands and feet and respond with the Spirit leading us when violence erupts? Artists have tried to capture Jesus' ascension into heaven in many, many forms. Most often, they depict him with just his feet as he flies into the clouds, into the sky. Anxious disciples gather below him as they watch him ascend into heaven, their eyes turned upwards to see if they can still catch a glimpse of him. But in one particular woodcutting by Albrecht Dürer, if you look not at the sky where Jesus is floating, but at the ground, you can see footprints where Christ had been standing. Dürer has outlined Christ's feet in the earth at the same level where the disciples are standing with their mouths hanging open. It's not in the scripture, but perhaps this artist was imagining the detail and forcing us to ask ourselves, why do you stand looking up at heaven? Why do we stand looking up? Jesus has given us work to do. We cannot silently stare at the heavens expecting things to happen. Our thoughts and our prayers must turn into outward actions that disrupt and defy the brokenness and the violence in our nation. We are the ones, we are the ones that will bring about the justice, the peace, and the mercy that Christ first gave us. And so friends, instead of staring at the heavens, let us instead walk in Jesus's footsteps forward. Amen.